Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Happy Thanksgiving and thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today we're going to be completing a Thanksgiving message that we preached at Fairview Baptist a couple of years ago, dealing with a dangerous trap that Christians are capable of falling into, and it's one that we must certainly avoid. I hope that you enjoy the conclusion of this message entitled, The Danger of Thanklessness. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. Do you realize that if we did things God's way, there would be no AIDS, there would be no STDs, there would be no abortion because there would be no unwanted pregnancies? But my, don't we have a better plan than what God has? And what do we have? We have 50% of marriages now end in divorce because they're no longer sacred. We have 40% of new births last year were to single women. Sex is no longer sacred. Now quit talking about social issues. We're only concerned about the economy. Well, 70% of those on welfare come from single-parent homes. Wow, God is so smart, but we think we're smarter, and we rob ourselves of the blessings. We've taken holiness out of the church, and we've adopted the world's ways to become a seeker-friendly body. And as we've abandoned truth, and we've abandoned God's standards, and we've abandoned holiness, we now no longer have the Holy Spirit power in our churches anymore. Bible says, blessed is the nation, goyim, Gentile nation, whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. Blessed is Israel, if they're obedient, but it's not just them. Blessed is the Gentile nation, whose God is Jehovah. I wonder if God's capable of keeping that promise. For over 200 years, America has set the standard. Why? You know, it's so funny to listen to the explanations. It's not because of our people. We are the descendants of Europe. So why has America been blessed when Europe has been uh, fought in one world war after the other and on economic decline and America has flourished? I'll tell you why. Psalm 33, 22, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Well, it's because the ground's so fertile. Really? Have you gone out and looked in Oklahoma? When the wall fell in Russia, missionaries and others, the doors finally opened. They were, they were amazed. You talk about fertile farmland. The place was incredible. Why were we blessed and they weren't? Go to South America. Look at South America and look at how rich that soil is. Why were we blessed and they weren't? It's not because of the soil, ladies and gentlemen. Blessed is the nation. Blessings come from above. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we were a people that loved God and feared God. We were a moral and righteous people. 
and God blessed us because of it. Did we have our flaws? Absolutely. We fixed them. We sure tried. What about slavery? Folks, we made a mistake. But let me tell you this. Abortion is the slavery of the modern era. We have killed 55 million babies. Why? Because we've declared they aren't citizens. We've declared they're not human. That's the same thing that they were guilty of. And there was the same division back then. Our founding fathers, the majority, wanted to rid, get rid of slavery as we enacted the Declaration and eventually the Constitution. There were three states in the South that refused. Folks, there was a division then. There's a division now. But guess what? We fixed it. Within 20 years, we stopped the importation of slaves. And do you think God judged us because of our sin? Absolutely. We fought a bloody civil war because of the sin of slavery. And don't think that this is a black spot on America's heritage. Folks, slavery existed from all the way back to Joseph. The Israelites were the first slaves. But what the devil meant for bad, God used for good. And if you're to go ahead and do some Google research, you'll find that there are over 27 million slaves on the planet today. But we've abandoned God's standards. What's happened? Are we better off? Folks, for ever so long, we had a nation built on biblical morality and the family was strong. That's like the single cell of a body. The most basic unit. And we were strong there and we were strong as a country. We recognized that God is smarter than we were. And we applied his principles, including biblical free market. And as God had promised that we would be a lender rather than a borrower, we were. But as we have implemented and adopted godless socialism, what's happened? Poverty is going through the roof. Unemployment is, will, will exceed all-time highs. And we've got $16 trillion in debt. $16 trillion in debt. Boy, <laughs> We're dumber than they were. They said, let us make us a captain and return to Egypt. We're guilty of the same thing. God had promised them a land of milk and honey, but they missed out on God's promises. Their ingratitude, the lack of recognition and appreciation for all that God had done for them resulted in no trust in God or his ability to provide, and as a consequence, they missed the blessing. Now let me contrast that this Thanksgiving week briefly with another group of people that you're well aware of. In fact, this group of people compared themselves to the Israelites in their quest for the promised land. But you'll notice one distinct difference as we get to the end of the story. This was a group of fundamental Bible-believing Christians that were in love with Jesus Christ. Because of their sincere faith, because of their desire to worship God in spirit and in truth, their desire to be able to read the Bible for themselves and let God speak to them personally, they endured persecution because of their faith by their own government. For over 50 years, they endured the humiliation and pain of being placed in stocks and whipped and imprisoned and branded as heretics, some even dying for their faith. Yet they were thankful for Jesus. They were thankful. Folks, there had been a thousand years where nobody could have the Bible to read for themselves, but they had the Bible, and for them, that was enough. Oh, that's so feeble. Yet how many of us even care? You can go to Mardell's. They have a whole wall of Bibles in America. How much time do we spend in them? 
Eventually they realized that they would have to leave and go to the new world. And they looked at that as an opportunity for evangelism. They eventually left Plymouth, September 16, 1620. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. You think you're crowded sitting here every other seat in the auditorium. Because Baptists will not sit seat cheek to cheek unless it's at an OU or OSU football game. But they crammed 102 passengers and 30 crewmen with provisions on board this little merchant ship called the Mayflower. There was no such thing as cruise ships in those times. The Mayflower was not equipped to take many passengers. Their quarters were 65 feet by 25 feet by 5 feet tall. This is from the Mayflower 2. By the way, this ceiling is about 6 feet tall. The actual Mayflower 1 only had a 5-foot ceiling. Imagine taking this auditorium and dividing it at least in half and putting 102 people in it and spending 66 days there together. Folks, how big is your home? How many people live in it? 102 people sharing 1,600 square feet of space with 5-foot ceilings. And they were thankful because they were crossing the North Atlantic during the onset of winter. There were stormy and rough seas. The majority of their time was spent below deck. The ship would rock drastically from side to side, throwing the pilgrims and their provisions all over the place. At times it seemed as if the ship would roll over completely. There was no privacy. The stench of waste and from seasickness had to be overwhelming. There was no cooking allowed, only dried foods and stale bread. Yet in all these things, history records that they praised God for his provision daily. They sang psalms daily and prayed together daily below deck. History records that some of the crew mocked them for their constant singing of praises. One particularly cruel crewman called them the puniest assortment of psalm singing puke stockings that he had ever seen. He gloated that he couldn't wait until they died so he could sew them into the shroud and feed them to the fish. It's interesting to note that the only death on the journey was that one mocking sailor who suddenly became ill and died within a 24-hour period. Needless to say, the rest of the crew treated the pilgrims with a little more respect after that. But after 66 days, they endured these conditions. And what does they say? They sang psalms. What did Ephesians 9, 19 say? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making humility in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always. They prayed, Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be named known to God. And they trusted God. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Before they finally arrived in the New World, they did all these things. And they arrived in November. Their diary records that they got down on their knees and thanked God for his deliverance. Cotton Mather, in the work, The Great Works of Christ in America, said this. And about the 9th of November following, where going on shore, they fell upon their knees with many and hearty praises unto God, who had been their assurance when they were afar off upon the sea and was to be further so now that they were come to the ends of the earth. Even then, their trials were far from over, and they knew it. It was winter in New England. Their provisions were running short. Their bodies were tired from this hard journey. In December, six of their company died. In January, eight more. In February, 17 stepped into heaven. In March, another 13 died. Over the first winter, 47 of the 102 pilgrims died. You'd think if someone had a reason to complain, it would have been 
them. You'd think that if someone had a right to question God, it might have been the pilgrims, but they didn't. History says that the high point of their week was Sunday when they would gather to the beat of the drum for both morning and afternoon services to preach and to pray and to praise the Lord. They worked. They loved their families. They cared for one another. They studied their Bible. And that produced a very different worldview than what we have today. Instead of a me-first mentality, they had a biblical mentality. What's that? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and love thy neighbor as thyself. Instead of believing that they were the center of the universe, they believed that everything revolved around God and they were simply pilgrims living their lives for him. Governor William Bradford wrote this. He said, a great hope and inward zeal they had of laying some good foundation or at least to make some way thereunto for the propagating and advancing the gospel of the kingdom of Christ to those remote parts of the world. Yea, though they may should be but even as stepping stones unto others for the performing of so great a work. Folks, do you think God doesn't answer prayers of a thankful heart? You better believe he does. Listen to this. It's miraculous. You'd say it wasn't true if it wasn't true. But it was. Their first hard winter came to a close. It was mid-March when one day, to their surprise, a single Indian came walking into camp. You say, what's the big deal? An Indian in America is like trying to find a Baptist church in Oklahoma. They're all over the place. But this one walked into camp speaking perfect English. What a coincidence. Happened to be what they spoke. After meeting the pilgrims, the Indian returned with another friend named Squanto, another Indian that spoke perfect English. What are the odds, ladies and gentlemen, of the entire coastline of North America? They would happen to land on a spot that had an English-speaking Indian that liked white men. He informed them another miracle that this land that they had happened to occupy was no man's land. They didn't have to take it from anybody. It had already been cleared. It used to be cultivated. But a hostile tribe that had lived there previously died about 18 months earlier because of a plague that swept through their camp. None of the other Indians wanted the land because they thought the land was cursed. So here it was, this land was cleared for planting, but no person or tribe claimed ownership, thinking that the land was cursed, so the pilgrims showed up and said, we'll take it. What are the odds of that happening? Now think about this, and why they were thankful. In all of their persecution, and all their troubles, they never doubted God. They kept praying for God to direct them. They kept praying for God to bless them. He brought them through. Even in the midst of that first hard winter, they kept thanking God. They kept trusting God, and what happened? God provided. This English-speaking Indian taught them how to plant corn, how to stalk deer, how to fish, plant pumpkins, discern which berries were safe to eat, which herbs could be used for medicine, help them broker friendly relationships with other Indian tribes. You think God doesn't honor a thankful heart? Think about this, folks. This is not mythology. This is history that we're not taught anymore. Do you think God can't provide for where he guides? They were blown off course. They had intended to wind up down here in Virginia. If they had wound up there, there were hostile Indians. They would have been slaughtered. Instead, they wound up up here in Plymouth. They kept trying to sail south. 
But the breakers wouldn't allow them, kept pushing their boat back up to the north. They finally said, we think this is God's will that we stay here. And again, they wound up claiming property that was already cleared, had corn buried there that they were able to use to sustain them immediately, found English-speaking Indians that liked them and taught them how to live in the new world, That's miraculous. That's God. In all things give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Upon completion of that first year, Governor Bradford declared a day of thanksgiving. He said, all you pilgrims with your wives and little ones do gather at the meeting house at the hill there to listen to the pastor. Pastor Blair was his name. And render thanksgiving to Almighty God for all... (laughs) William Blairford, that was it. it. (laughs) Render thanksgiving to Almighty God for all his blessings. After all they'd gone through, ladies and gentlemen, the persecution in England, their sojourn in the Netherlands, enduring 66 days at sea, nearly being destroyed in the North Atlantic, after enduring the hardships of the first winter, nearly half of their small company died, died. They called for a day of thanksgiving and invited their Indian friends to join them. After all this, they didn't focus on what they didn't have. They remembered what they did have, and they stopped to thank God for all of his many benefits. Their hearts stayed warm towards God, and they remained faithful to God, and God consequently remained faithful to them. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, remember it, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We typically want to wait until the job is over before offering thanks. But God says, in everything, give thanks. It does not say for everything, give thanks. But in the midst of everything, give thanks. In fact, it's God's will that we do. And folks, that's when we need it most. You know, I'm thankful that God is. Aren't you thankful that these professing themselves to be wise are simply fools? There's no hope that the suicide rate among our young people has skyrocketed. What point is life? If we're just the product of accidental evolutionary process, and for the first 20 years or so we get better and we're on the increase, and for the next 50 or 60 it's a slow decline into the grave, Woohoo! How encouraging is that? But the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Folks, you can't look at, you can't have your eyes open for five minutes without acknowledging that there is a God. You look at the complexity of the design of all creation and it demands logically that something or someone created it. Just as silly as it is to think that this chair happened by accident or this pulpit happened by accident or this microphone happened by accident. You know that there had to be a tree because there's wood here. You know that somebody had to cut it down because it's no longer in a tree. You know that somebody designed it because trees don't just grow like this. You know that somebody had to cut it because trees aren't this thin. You know that somebody had to put it all together. Somebody had to lacquer it. Now, if logically you say, 
there is evidence that this had a designer and a creator. This simple piece of wood that's in two parts, three parts basically. If logic demands that there had to be a creator, a designer for this, And, of course, this. <laughs> I am so thankful that God is. As we go later in life, ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, I have not seen, ear hath not heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him. The best is yet to come. I am so thankful for who God is. He is God. There is not a multitude of gods. There is one. He created everything. He sustained everything for His honor and for His glory. And He, being that God, is intimately involved in each of our lives and cares so much for us that He provided a way for us to spend eternity in heaven with Him. Wow. Ought to make you feel pretty special. Well, you say, Pastor, how do you know? How do you know that that is the God? Proved it 2,000 years ago. There's a little empty tomb just north of Jerusalem. You go through the Bible all the way back to documentation 2,000 years before Christ. Everything points to Jesus. Either they were really lucky in their predictions or Jesus is who he said he was. Folks, those predictions are so specific. Now think about this. Said the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, but come out of Egypt and grow up in Nazareth being called a Nazarene. How in the world do you do that? How did Jesus as a two or three year old orchestrate all that? How did he convince Mary to go to Bethlehem to get born? And then as a newborn baby, con Joseph into moving to Egypt for a while. And then convince his parents as a three or four year old that it would be wise to move to Nazareth. All of us have great influence over our parents at three or four years of age. My kids kept wanting to move to Disney World. And we said no. But all these prophecies about Jesus were specific. They weren't vague. They were specific. And he fulfilled them perfectly. The odds are astronomical. It's impossible that it was by accident. That one statistician said, after taking eight of these specific prophecies, he said the chances of them happening by chance, just by chance, would be the same as if you took the entire state of Texas, filled it 18 inches deep with silver dollars, painted one silver dollar red, threw it into the middle of the state, stirred the whole thing up, and then reached in and grabbed it and picking out that one red silver dollar. That's the statistical odds of just eight of these things happening by chance. But over 300 were fulfilled by chance. The entirety of the universe, if you took single atoms and took the entirety of the universe... Statistically, you can't get to that number of it happening by chance. Jesus said, there's going to be one sign that proves I'm who I said I was. Three days after I go into the tomb, I'm coming out. Folks, three days after he went into the tomb, he came out. And he proved to the world that he was who he said he was. 
this man that never amassed a fortune, that never led a conquering army, that never left more than 90 miles from his birthplace. The entire history of the world is chronicled from the date of his birth. Why? Because he is the God. And the world knows it to be so. I'm so thankful for what God has done. We talk about the simple things all the time. I'll not repeat those, but I'm so thankful I was born to godly parents. I'm so thankful I was born to parents that didn't give up on me when they could have. They kept praying for me. I'm so thankful that in the midst of a period of time in my life where I wasn't walking with the Lord, that I met my wife, and she was patient enough to put up for me and wait me out until I finally got my senses about me. It's amazing what the Lord can do. I'm so thankful that I have a family that loves each other. I still dine weekly with my mother and my two brothers and all my family. I've got a niece that lives on the edge of the world, actually over the edge of the world in New York. She comes home as often as she I'm so glad our family is this close. How blessed we are. You know what? We're not rich, but we've never missed a meal. How about you? We're pretty blessed. But above all, I'm so thankful that Jesus paid for my sins. He didn't have to. He didn't do anything wrong. I did. I'm so thankful not only for what God has done, but what he has still promised. He has promised that there is nothing too hard for him. He has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He has promised that he is preparing a home for us in heaven right now. He has promised that for a Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He has promised that we as faithful Christians, folks, you know that one of these days we are going to rule and reign with Christ in the millennium? Who cares what you accomplish or what kind of adoration you can receive the plaudits and praises of men on this earth for maybe 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years or you can receive a well done my good and faithful servant enter thou now into the joy of thy Lord my thanking God ladies and gentlemen does more for me than it does for him in obedience he's worthy of all our praise and thanksgiving we owe it to him it's his But the reason we are to do it in all things is to encourage us and to remind us that we are never alone and there is no problem too great for our God. Ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of the trials, that's when we need to be reminded. There is a God in heaven that sets up kings and puts down kings, that created all things and sustains all things and holds their every item, every atom in the universe in the palm of his hand. And that God cares so much about you that he even has the number of hairs on your head counted. It's in the midst of the trial that we need to thank God that he is there and thank God for all the wonderful things that he has done. We need it so he can encourage us. Happy Thanksgiving, church family. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, happy Thanksgiving, and God bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. 
You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.